This is Security Download, your ultimate source for the latest developments in private security. Host Honor Redmond will bring you the inside scoop, groundbreaking trends, and exclusive interviews with leading experts in both residential and business security. Security Download is powered by Brav, delivering tech-forward, customer-service-focused private security. So I am absolutely delighted and honored to introduce our next guest on the show. He's a dedicated public safety and security professional, a veteran, a former chief of police, a committed advocate for safety and mental health, also the founder and CEO of Secure Measures. Please welcome Dave Weiner. Hey, Anna. Thank you for having me today. Really, really appreciate it. We are delighted to have you join us. Um, we have time today, and I feel like it should have been double because every time I talk to you, I have like <laughs> 20 more questions to ask. Um, but, you know, for today's show, we're really focusing on the subject of security administration. Um, if you are a, and, and, you know, we obviously talk about security issues that affect the people hiring security and the people providing the security. And today we're tapping into Dave's um, extensive knowledge base on the hiring side. Um, he has worked with large corporations, with small companies, with super high net worth individuals, um, all in helping them assess what kind of security do I hire? How do I set it up? Um, and today we're tapping into some of those questions. Um, and I'm going to dive right in with my first one. Um, how do you tell the difference between a bunch of security companies? If you're the person hiring, um, you're sitting down, everyone's coming and presenting, and at the end of the day, you're like, kind of sounded very similar. Yeah, that's a that's a really great question. Um, and you know, I'd I'd have to say, having procured these these services, you know, during my career for a variety of of, of different organizations. Um, you know, it, it can be difficult sometimes because a lot of the pitches sound very, very similar. Um, a, a lot of them will will promise a lot of things. Why? Because, you know, they they want the contract. And that's like, I get it. It's business, you know, and, and I understand that. <clears throat> but you have to really, you really have to look past their pitch um, in a lot of ways. And I think part of that is, you know, doing your doing your homework online. You know, and I and, you know, I know you and I have discussed a lot of this offline, too. Um, and one of the things that I failed to mention is, is as you're looking to procure a security company, it's also reaching out to your network and asking them, hey, who are you using? Are you happy with them? Because you're going to get honest feedback most of the time from your network or folks that are in your trusted circle. And they're going to tell you uh, whether or not um, who, who, sh who you should be interviewing in, in those cases. So I think, you know, folks that come with those type of references make your decision a little bit easier. Obviously there's a number of factors, cost, you know, um, cost is usually the biggest one. Like mm -hmm. what's this going to, what's this going to cost me? Um, what level of protection do I actually need versus what I want? Right. Um, and looking at that, but I think also approaching it from the context of um, trying trying to look at them as a collaborative partner, because down the road, you will experience challenges with your security provider. You will. It's going to be for a variety of different reasons. It, it, but if everybody's on the same page from the time the contract is signed to the time you're developing post orders and all of those different things. Um, and if you're looking at them more of as a collaborative partner rather than as just a simple vendor, you're going to get a lot further because they're going to be able to help you craft some of your security strategy, for lack of a better term. So, so if I'm hearing you, it's you want someone that you can collaborate with, um, hopefully someone whose references check out that people in your network have worked with. Um, is there anything that you would see in a presentation that you would say, whoa, that's a red flag? Well, for instance, um, you know, I can I can look back to some of the different places that I worked where I needed additional security staffing. And that was the whole reason we were procuring. M typically, my first question um, to 
mainly because after having overseen numerous security and law enforcement agencies, the thing that always topped my list every day was staffing. So the first question I would likely ask is um, basically, and in my case, I knew what I needed. So I would let them know here, here's what my needs are. What is your staff? What would be your staffing plan for that? Um, and what contingency plans do you have in place? Should your initial plan not work out? Like here's, here's our staffing plan for your, as, as, as an example, outpatient clinics, mm -hmm. here's our staffing plan. Okay. Well, what is your contingency plan? If inevitably people go on vacation, people get sick, people don't show up to work, um, all of those type of things. What is your contingency plan? Um, the flags that normally kind of pop up in my view, and I'm guilty of saying these things too in my career. So I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm not, uh, uh, bound to those things. But what I would say is if somebody says, oh, we'll just figure it out. That's not what I want to hear. Um, at least at that moment in time, that's not what I want to hear. And I'm all about, Hey, let's figure it out. And, and that is right for certain circumstances, not, not your staffing plan. Because obviously putting security personnel in place is in conjunction usually with access control and cameras and other things and it becomes part of an overall strategy. Well, that becomes a weakness in the strategy if you don't have the ability to replace people, uh, get people in place, provide the appropriate coverage, being responsive during those particular times. Um, so that can certainly be a challenge. So that's kind of a bad answer if we say, oh, we're, we'll, we'll figure it out as we go along. Nope. That needs to be in our contract about what your staffing plan is and how we're going to go about it. That makes sense. So, so you want someone that has a plan in place. Um, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about the collaboration between the client and the security company. And a really big piece of that is the post orders. Um, I've been fascinated in the conversations that I've had, um, mainly because so many clients don't seem to know what exactly is in their post orders, how they were written, um, how often they're read, which guards read or review them. And I'd love to dig into that. If we are starting kind of from the ground up, you know, you've guided a ton of clients through this. You're in with a new client. Um, you know, first of all, let's, let's talk about post orders. What are they? Maybe we'll start there. So basically, you know, to, to, to break it down Barney style, yep. uh, post orders are basically the directives that the officers or guards in the field are going to be using to kind of guide their activities during the day, whatever those happen to be. Um, now, obviously, every most security companies have like their internal post orders about, you know, hey, you know, you're going to wear your uniform and things like that. But when you go to a client site, every client site's a little bit different. Um, you know, because sometimes these companies work with healthcare or tech or, or whatever, and there's different requirements. Um, and if you don't provide the guards some pretty specific things that they have to do, do nothing will get done um, or nothing that you're paying for will get done. <laughs> right. And, and the other thing too is, is post orders actually allow you to define some metrics on which that contract can be judged by. That's what a lot of people don't really think about. Those are the metrics. And if you can't meet the basic metrics of that contract, then you probably shouldn't be servicing it. That's just my view. Um, now that's not to say, and look, I, I've worked with plenty of, of really good companies that you know things happen, <laughs> you know, and you have to just work through those in the moment, which is fine. But that's why I say establishing a collaborative relationship up front is really, really important because when something does happen, you can go to the, the organization and say, hey, what happened here? Oh, you know, and, it, and then, it, then it becomes a conversation rather than accusations and causing that, that, that rift. And then you're able to work through challenges because it's really costly and it's really a painful process to have to replace a whole company um, of folks. So, you know, having a good collaborative relationship can avoid you spending additional money uh, in order to do these things. What part of the post orders does the security company ultimately sort of hold responsibility for? And what should the client be thinking about? Well, 
And that's a great question. So I'm going to answer it in this way, <laughs> because typically what ends up happening is, is everybody kind of sits down, you have a, you have a meeting, you kind of discuss what your needs are, you know, the security, can, you, you really like the company, you think it's great, everything's good. And what ends up happening is, is they'll assume control of that contract and then they'll start doing the things that you initially outlined in the meeting and you really maybe didn't get into detail or, or whatever. Hey, I need it. I need you guys to check this door every hour, whatever it happens to be. Right. But what ends up happening in, I'd say a lot, not always, but a lot is the client thinks that the security company is developing these post orders for their officers. And in some cases it's because the, the client, in some cases either doesn't know really like how to write post orders or how to, how to do that. That's why I'm suggesting a collaborative process. That way the security company or security organization can take the feedback from the client and, and help generate these post orders. So the officers know what to do every day. Um, and then in some cases, the security company will rely on the, the, the client to provide, Hey, tell us what you need us to do. And if all of you, all you've told me to do is to check this door every hour, that's what we're doing. So there has to be a collaborative process. There has to be communication. There has to be these, these processes where everybody's on the same page, because at the end of the day, you have to remember, why are you bringing in a security company in the first place? Was it because of a singular incident or was it because, a, because of a number of incidents have occurred? And now you're finding it prudent to have that that one type of deterrent there. So what parts can you trust the security company to do reliably? And, I'll, and we'll throw out like some random things that, that you know, like let's say I'm the client, um, I have, and this has been on everyone's minds very sadly as of late, um, I have no idea what to do in case of an active shooter incident. Okay. Um, can I trust the security company and say, okay, I'm going to assume you have a protocol for active shooter. I'm going to assume you have a protocol for um, earthquake, tsunami, tornado. Um, what's what's the universe of stuff that like the, I assume the security company can handle and I don't even have to read? And more interestingly, what's the universe? And maybe we'll, we'll do this as a separate question. What's the universe of stuff that I really should be reading carefully? Well, um, my simple answer is this, trust, but verify, Okay. right? Um, if the company says they have an active shooter plan, great. What does that entail? Because the reality is, is if something does happen and I'm using this as a singular kind of, kind of um, example, um, what is the security company's role and responsibility? They need to understand that. What are, what are because here's the thing, you may be expecting them to do certain things. They may be only able to do a bunch of certain things, right? Can so you, let's, let's use an example. Give us, give us a sense of sometimes, what sometimes those don't, sometimes those don't align. Um, my expectations may be very different than what, you know, for instance, security guards, what are they there for? Observe and report, right? Your unarmed security guard, as an example, um, what are they going to do during an active shooter? Now, many places hire unarmed security. What is going to be their role during an active shooter event? They're not armed. How are they going to stop the shooter? So, and the, the real answer is, is you're not expecting them. You shouldn't expect them to try to stop the shooter because they are not armed. They are not, they are not up to that level, right? But what they could be doing as an example is helping evacuate people, calling 911, getting the police over there, um, giving good descriptions of things, doing the same things they would normally do, um, but more in a crisis situation. And then, you know, which will probably lead into our, our next subject of, of conversation, which is training, because they have to be trained to do that. And in addition to that, um, is there going to be an expectation on the client side of the house? to do some joint training with employees and the security staff. So everybody's on the same page. So should the bad thing happen, everybody's on the same page. And that's another thing that typically does not happen is, you know, a security company will assume and they'll just start doing things. 
Um, but there's no crossover. There's no connectivity. There's no collaboration to the point where everybody understands. And I'm, and I'm saying these in generalities. Mm -hmm. I would argue that there are some places that absolutely do that. Um, so I don't, want, I don't want our listeners thinking, oh, this never happens. No, it does. But it doesn't happen as frequently as it should. And we should be more focused, um, especially in today's environment, um, where you have a lot of different things at play. Um, you know, you have, you know, um, ever since the pandemic, now people are going back to the office, as an example. Um, you have a lot of people dealing with uh, mental health issues uh, and other things. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that anything's going to happen because they have mental health issues, but it could manifest itself in um, people being angry um, or detached or isolated. Um, and that could be problematic, uh, in a lot of ways. And those are the types of situations, probably more so than active shooter, um, the daily occurrences, uh, at work would probably be of more concern to me, um, than your active shooter. Um, you're, you're totally right. Right. I mean, we, we see these news stories and they're super sad and scary and they're gripping, um, at the end of the day, still super low probability. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, and it's important to remember that. And so as we think about like, you know, God forbid you actually have an active shooter, 99.999% of places, people, workplaces won't. Um, but you're right, what you actually do have, right, is you have the um, the issues with potentially mental illness, the sort of like gray area situations where someone comes into your workplace off the street they're behaving erratically. It's unclear. It's unclear. Like probably they don't have a gun. Probably they don't have a knife. Um, you don't know. They could just turn around and walk back out again. Um, and those things could happen, right? Like, I don't know if it's once a week or once a month or a couple times a year, um, but you do have your security companies dealing with that. So when you think about, you know, as, as the client, let's say, you know, I'm the head of HR, I'm the, um, you know, I'm, I'm in whatever role that I'm hiring security. And I think about that. Um, what, you know, how do I build the correct set of post orders for my business around dealing with those sorts of incidents where, you know, I want to make sure that whoever is in my building, whether that's my employees or, you know, if it's a school, my students, or if it's their clients, that everyone feels safe. Um, but at the same time, you know, we're meeting another, another checklist of just like appropriate behavior. Um, how do, when you go into consult, how do you guide people to think about post orders in that, in that light? So how I, how I frame things, um, typically when people look like the, typically in during economic hard times, the first two things that typically go out the window are security and training. The two things that you probably need and what people or, or what I what I suggest when I'm, I'm 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 advising clients is that you need to reframe looking at security as an example as a cost center and looking at more as a risk management tool. Because you're minimizing and mitigating risk by employing a security strategy. Um, and if you look at it from that context, then you're going to see things through a different lens. Mm -hmm. um, which is then going to allow you to, and kind of, you know, taking that a little bit further, that is also going to go into how you um, employ your security provider um, in a way that is, it's not overkill, but it's beneficial. And then all the officers, you know, through post orders, if you're looking at it from a risk management lens, um, you're, you're creating a situation where, um, the provider is going to meet certain expectations and all of those expectations are going to have been discussed up front. Um, again, you know, using the active shooter example, an unarmed security guard can do very little, um, against an armed subject, but there are things they can do, but that should be spelled out in a post order. If this happens during an active shooter, this is what you will do. And then it's written, right. It's written down. Or this is what you're going to do, and, and I'll use a more common experience. Here's what you're going to do during a fire alarm, mm -hmm. right? Here, here are the steps you're going to take. 
okay, as and in the fire alarm. And the client will also have a copy of the post order. So the client will also know what that security guard is supposed to do. Because I think without post orders, it then becomes a bit of a free for all. Um, and then people don't really know what they're supposed to do. Um, and then it becomes a lot of confusion. So I think putting post orders really, really kind of highlights, here are my expectations. Here's, here's what needs to be done every day. Um, and then the officers have a guide and then they can follow that. And it makes it so easy. let's so I totally get that. Let's, let's kind of get a little more granular, um, you know, going back to my example of how do you get your security to engage when you have someone in the building that's just walked in off the street and there's like a sense of anxiety. It's unclear what's happening. Um, talk me through how you would guide a client, let's say me um, in, in LA, how about Santa Monica, to think about like how detailed do we get in the post orders? Like let's walk through an example together. Well, um, they can be as detailed as you need them to be, right? In order to get them to do... As an example, what is one of the big challenges right now in, in Los Angeles? Our unhoused or our homeless population, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm actually working, to be clear, I'm actually working uh, with a company right mm -hmm. now and trying to help them navigate some of those challenges. So it's, it's kind of twofold. Um, number one, you know, what, you know, as the client, I'm going to ask you, um, what, is, what is your policy? You know about what if homeless, I say, homeless encampments around your uh, around your facility. What is your policy about that? Yeah. What, what if I'm like, Are yeah, you, okay with that? you know, I we have clients come in that are bothered by it. Um, okay. I want to do, you know, I want to be kind. I don't want mm -hmm. to harm or hurt anyone. Um, but our clients are bothered by it. We have, let's okay. say, we're a law firm, right, and we have people coming in. Um, what do you do with that information? How so there's a, a couple answers. So your security provider could do a few things. You know, number one, um, they could engage uh, those folks. Let's say they're setting up like a little, maybe they're just sitting out in front of your establishment, right? They've just kind of sat down with blankets or, or whatever. You know, the security staff can go out there and ask them, please, you know, please leave. You're blocking the sidewalk or, you know, as long as that's actually happening. Mm -hmm. um, or saying that, hey, if you don't have any official business here, you're not allowed to be here. Um, you know, but if and you is do that have legally, is that legally true in LA? Mm -hmm. Okay. And obviously, well, because if somebody doesn't have any official business there, technically they're trespassing, right? If they're, if they're outside of my building or if they're, well, but if they're on your property, right? Okay. So, and the, not... so the sidewalk, like in front of the door is considered my property. Okay. I, 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 I would argue it's also a bit of a gray area. Some people, oh, say, interesting. Some, people okay. some people will say yes. Some people will say no. Um, it really depends on, on your lease, right? What does your lease say? What is, what does your lease say about what encompasses the property that you're renting? Right. And what does that entail? So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of that, but can the security officer say, Hey, you know, can you please move along? Sure. They can do that politely. You know, again, even our unhoused folks, there's no reason why you can't treat them with empathy and compassion. Um, unfortunately, I would argue that not a lot of our security officers are trained well enough um, to how to, to have a conversation. A lot of it's get out of here and being very like kind of rude to people. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not how you want to engage those folks. But the, but the security officer should also have a list of resources, both city, county, local, those type of things that they can call to assist them in those particular cases. And I know we're talking about one very specific case, mm -hmm. um, but maybe, you know, maybe having community partners, you know, maybe, you know, you have a public health agency um, come out or you have specialized resources that deal with, with homeless folks to come out and train, you know, your staff, as well as the, as well as the security company. Um, to get them to a point where they understand what they're supposed to do. And then at least the, in the post orders, the security guard will know, hey, if this person doesn't leave or they're causing a disturbance, this is, these are the steps that I follow. That's, so, so that's super helpful. So you know, the client should expect to see, because, because this is an issue that crops up in LA, and I would argue that probably 
Um, most businesses and most offices have had this issue and probably is one of the reasons why they hire security. Um, so, you know, number one, obviously polite. I think that's super key. And that can be in the post orders, right? Yes. Can be Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, and keep in mind, I'm speaking very much in generalities. I mean, there are so many caveats to the simple person sitting in front of your building. There are um, how that's going to be handled. And everybody handles those things differently. I've heard I've heard stories of private sector organizations that have encampments put out on their perimeter of their facility or building or whatever. And they have just employed people. Hey, you are going to go out and just tear it down and clean it up and get it out of here. Wow. Right. So can they do that if it's private property? Yeah. And I've, I've talked to my, my, my uh, public safety partners about that particular, because as public safety or the city, they can't just do that. Yeah. They've, been, they've been sued repeatedly because of those type of activities, but on private property, it's a little bit different. You can sort of administrate those things yourself. Mm -hmm. but I would also argue that, um, you know, could, could a person eventually take litigation against you for doing that? Maybe, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, we're in a very litigious society. So I'm, I'm never surprised when I see, when I see litigation um, against an organization for X, Y, or Z. And it goes both ways, right? Because I guess, I guess if we're talking about the legal environment, you know, there's also a concern that a company can be sued for not adequately protecting their employees, their clients, yep. whoever else is supposed to be on the property. So it's, so it's very tricky ground. Um, so, so that's really helpful. So then let's, let's kind of continue on with this example because I'm learning a lot and I feel like uh, people who are in this kind of hiring seat can get a lot out of this. So you put in your post orders, you know, number one, be polite. Number two, let's say um, if anyone is within our walkway or within whatever, three, four feet of it, um, ask them to move. Let's say it it goes a step further than that. There's someone that has come into the building um, and they're behaving erratically. Uh, they haven't actually touched or harmed anyone, but they're sort of, let, let's say they're using profanity at people in the general vicinity. They're kind of like in the building lobby. Um, do you as, you know, me as the client or the HR manager, do I want to tell my security what to do in that case? Or do I kind of assume, okay, they'll, they'll take it from there. What, what should go in the post orders? Well, kind of going back to that original conversation, you know, kind of going back to the original conversation with the security company, these are the types of questions you should be asking the provider. Like, okay, I'm going to give you a scenario be, and be, and, and let me back up even further. And I apologize for doing that, but Usually the whole reason somebody is bringing in a security staffing solution is because something or a series of things have, have occurred, right? And what, what you're detailing is the individual that comes in, they might be under the influence, you know, or they may be suffering from untreated mental illness, like schizophrenia, they're hearing voices, and they wander into the lobby and they're just acting erratic, to your point. And, you know, staff staff typically aren't trained for those type of things right yeah it makes so, them nervous so it's so it's really asking the security provider okay here's this scenario that we've had in the past what would your security officers do in that particular situation what are you know what is your policies around that because some companies um you know, we'll say, well, we'll engage them. We'll talk to them. You know, we'll try to get voluntary compliance, get them to leave, you know, those type of things. We'll engage in some level of de-escalation um, and try to try to resolve that situation as peaceably as possible. Um, you know, and then, you know, it may go down and some companies will say, you know, we have kind of a hands-off policy. We don't touch anybody or, or anything, no matter what. Oh, happens. that's really interesting. Some, so, some, so if a company has a hands-off policy, is the guard then just, just sitting and, and watching and maybe taking Well, it? they can still engage verbally, right? They can okay. still do those type of things. But okay. a lot of, because of liability reasons, I mean, if you okay. really look in the context of public safety, police officers are getting hemmed up routinely. And police officers, I would argue, and, and most of my colleagues in the security profession would, would say that police officers are far better trained than your average security officer, 
for a variety of reasons. For sure, right? yeah, they go right? through months and months of training. So there is there is a, a huge aspect of liability on the company, um, especially if you have somebody who's not trained in defensive tactics or how to handcuff somebody properly or all these different things that come into play. Um, and, you know, some companies just choose, hey, we have unarmed security officers. They don't carry anything. They're there to be more of an ambassador type of person. And they're there to do exactly what security officers are supposed to do, which is observe and report. Um, now you have some companies out there that will tell you, hey, you know, if somebody starts, you know, acting out and maybe starting to become assaulted, yeah, we're going to have to engage that person physically and we're going to have to put handcuffs on them. It's, it really depends. So really asking those hard questions up front, like, hey, what are your security, what are your security guards actually going to do if somebody becomes assaulted? Wow. Um, in the lobby and again you can you you know that will again there's usually a catalyst as to why somebody's bringing in security um and what are those things and then running various scenarios you know um you know the active shooter but the active shooters you know one and that's fine and then what are you going to do during a natural disaster what is your policy there right just asking those questions and and you know going back to your original question about what should you be reading Mm -hmm. kind of all of it. And I know that is a lot of information, but here's why I say that. Because then you're, you're, you're not going to have any unrealistic expectations about what's going to actually happen in a situation. And as a client, that is one of the biggest parts of dissatisfaction is you have a preconceived notion about what you think those folks should be doing versus the reality of what they are actually going to do for you. And that's why I, I've, I've said repeatedly, and I know you agree with me, um, that collaborative process, that way everybody's on the same page and there's no surprises. Now, do things come up sometimes that are kind of that, that maybe weren't addressed up front? Yeah, those situations pop up all the time. But if you have a good relationship with your provider, you can have those conversations and figure them out. That's, that's super helpful. So you know, let's let's continue on with this example because I, I feel like one thing that helps me so much is knowing, you know, what Dave thinks and what Dave wants for himself and for the clients that you work with. I don't I don't um, know if I don't know if you really want that, Anna. <laughs> no, no, I do. I, I want to know. I'm so curious. So so let's say because the the thing that I think surprises me, I was not aware that some companies will never go hands-on and that that's in their policy. Um and that's shocking, right? Because if let's say I'm going up to my law office and someone off the street has decided to follow me and I've gone into the building and I'm clearly feeling uncomfortable. And then this person has reached out and grabbed my arm and I see a security officer. And if I see the officer continuing to sit there while it's clear that someone's grabbed my arm and I'm sort of trying to tug it away, I'm thinking like, what the heck, what are you here for? Like, I'm over here, you know, isn't, isn't this, I think the thing that would go through my head would be like, isn't this part of your job? And it sounds like what you're saying is no, like for some people, no. Well, let me, let me clarify. Let me clarify. A lot of, a lot of that is, I would argue kind of that unwritten policy. It's not necessarily a written policy. And the reason I say that is, is because, um, unfortunately, because your security officers lack a certain um, comprehensive training, you know, having them grab somebody and do a bunch of stuff, um, it, 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 it ends up turning into just a good old fashioned fist fight rather than somebody being taken down with professional defensive tactics and, and other types of things or using other types of tools like OC or a taser. Um, and, and, you know, keep in mind, and, you know, you and I have talked about this offline, you know, but, you know, the, the, the disparities between armed officers versus unarmed officers and, and the determining the need there, um, you know. But and, that, and by the way, I'm going to, I want to get to the end of your answer, but I just want to flag, you know, how do you determine the need, armed versus unarmed? Well, um, Again, a collaborative process, kind of talking through the types of incidents that have occurred. Um, the, other, the other bigger thing um, is what's the resource that's being protected, right? What is the resource? Now, I think we would all agree um, that the highest resource is the human beings in, in there. 
um, which would beg the question, why doesn't everybody have armed security, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but it's really what type, like, what type of resources um, are, are being protected at that point? Um, and it, it also goes back to looking at when I, when I do work at different clients, I look at historical incidents. What has occurred here? And really kind of doing a deep dive into the past. Now, some organizations have good records, some don't. Some have uh, lore um, of things that have occurred, but nothing is ever documented. Um, and that also goes back to um, speaking with HR, finding out about historical incidents, terminations, um, things that haven't gone, gone very well. And then really digging into, okay, why am I here today as a security provider? If you're my client, why am I here today? What am I trying to help you assess? Um, and, and then giving you reasonable, rational, you know, steps that you can take to protect your facility, protect your people, you know, those kind of things. Give, give us some examples of like, what are things that would make you say, huh, you probably need armed. And what are things that would make you say, you're going to be totally, you will be fine with an unarmed guard with that, you know, and keeping in mind, and I'm curious if you agree with these stats. Um, and I heard them from someone in the industry, so I, I don't have them um, mm -hmm. from like a source, but apparently something like 70% of guards in the U.S. are completely unarmed with nothing, like have nothing on them. Um, of the 30% that have something, only 10% have firearms, 20% have something that's less than lethal. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I okay. Think so. So, so keeping in uh, mind, clearly 70% of, of facilities, residences, companies, you know, manufacturing plants have decided unarmed is fine. Um, you know, with, with that in mind, like, what are the things that would make you say, oh my gosh, you guys need armed versus you're probably fine with unarmed? Well, I, I think first looking at the area in which, you know, if we're talking about, a, uh, let's say a singular facility, I'll yep. just use that as, as your example. Where's it located? What's the crime patterns in the area? What are police response times? You know, digging into those things. Again, what's the resource? Is it a government facility? Um, as an example, uh, you know, are they, are they dealing with, and, and this is obviously a very extreme example, but a place, you know, that I've, I've worked in the past, a place that has nuclear nuclear stuff, right? Government facility. Banks with large sums of money usually have armed personnel. Um, other, other different uh, types of government facilities, as an example, the social security offices have armed security officers. Why? Because they've had disturbances. They've had people who, who've been angry about their social security benefits and things of that nature. And those places aren't always in the best of neighborhoods either. Um, so it's really kind of kind of looking at a holistic picture of, you know, historical incidents, what's the current crime rates, um, you know, what's happening in those facilities and, and what the resource is. Um, and then, you know, backing into, you know, is this absolutely necessary um, as a deterrent? And usually why are they being employed? It's not because they're actually going to use the firearm. It's because that is more of a deterrent than somebody with a, not a firearm. Putting you on the spot a little bit, you mentioned crime rate. Um, can you roughly tell us what to you feels like, wow, that's high versus that's low versus like, this is sort of okay in the middle? Well, it's, it's, I'll say it's not really a simplistic answer and just the, uh -huh. the, the crime rate, right? Because when you dig into the crime rate, you have property crimes, you have crimes against persons, yep. you have a lot of those different things. So if you have a lot of high, like crimes against persons where you have assaults, robberies, um, batteries, all of those type of things. Um, if you if you have a lot of those carjackings, mm -hmm. you know, all of these things, um, that sort of raises the stakes um, versus, um, I would argue, simple property crimes like a vandalism is an example mm. or something like that. You have to differentiate, you know, and, and I go back to the, to, the, to the human component of your people are your most important resource. So if you're in an area that has a high crime rate as far as like crimes against persons, that may be a factor um, in why, you know, you should. Um, and obviously there's other situations that come up where you have a terminated employee um, who threatens to come back and shoot up the place. 
Um, you know, again, more extreme example. Um, but you know, is, is that a realistic possibility? Has that happened in the past? Um, absolutely. Um, and even kind of going a little bit further and not part of this conversation cause we didn't, but I'm going <laughs> to insert it here anyway. Go right um, you know, when we start talking about security strategies, one of the things I'm, I'm pretty passionate about is workplace violence prevention programs. Um, and a lot of organizations either, either haven't employed those type of programs, um, and, and, or have the kind of attitude, well, nothing's ever happened here. So why do we need a program like that? Or why do we need, um, well, you know, these are all prevention programs and that's the whole point of prevention, right? And kind of going a little bit further, if you look at OSHA's general duty clause, OSHA's general duty clause basically states that all organizations need to protect their employees from known hazards. I'm going to say that again for your listeners, because I think it's important. The general duty clause outlines that employers need to protect their employees from known hazards. Well, that could be, you know, if you're working in a chemical plant, you know, using eye protection and using the appropriate protective measures, right? You have to have those things. Well, guess what? Workplace violence, known hazard. And if you're not employing programs to protect your employees, um, you're, you're kind of, you're, you're at risk um, of OSHA. If something ends up happening, OSHA will come out and they will cite you a lot of money. Um, and, and have you seen that happen? They've been getting, OSHA has becoming more aggressive. And I will also tell you that there are certain industries, healthcare is one um, gleaming example of, especially here in California, Cal OSHA has mandated since 2018 that all healthcare organizations have a comprehensive workplace violence prevention program. Um, and, you know, that's also part of your security strategy, for lack of a better term, that prevention piece, right? And if you are in a place where there's workplace violence, training your security staff, as an example, to understand and know behavioral indicators of violence so they can take preventative activities. That's, that's just one, one example. That, so. that makes a ton of sense. That's so important to remember. Um, we, as always, when I talk to you, I feel like we don't have enough time. And I wanted to make sure that we reserve some space for um, talking about kind of an element of security that I actually find very nuanced, um, maybe a little harder to get right. But when you do get it right, I think the rewards are really outsized. And you can use a lot of names for it. You know, I think to me, part of it is really like customer service. Um, part of it is really engendering the feeling of safety. Mm -hmm. And I think I have personally, having been around a lot of security professionals, have really felt the difference when someone is kind of just checking the basic security boxes. Like, yeah, you know, if... If there's a fire, I'll evacuate people. If there's, you know, an active shooter, I have my protocol. If someone walks in off the street, I know what to do versus versus kind of taking small steps where when I'm around that person, I just feel like I'm being looked after, like someone's got my back. I, I just, I really feel safe. And I think when security professionals get that component of it right, um, there's, there's this magic that happens where it becomes this huge additive thing, certainly additive in a like hotel or store or business context. Um, and because our, our theme today kind of loosely has been post orders, um, what have you seen that clients or companies have put into post orders that has kind of engendered that, that feeling and attitude? Um, I kind of view op or post orders more from an operational lens rather mm -hmm. than anything else. Um, I think when you're talking about customer service, client engagement, all, you know, all those uh, various terms, that's more of an ethos in my view, right? Oh, interesting. Okay. That's more of an ethos about how that organization does business versus, um, versus kind of what the officers actually do. Um, but you can incorporate that ethos, you know, if the officers already have that ethos, they're going to take that with them throughout their, throughout their day, doing whatever it is you want them to do, whether it's, 
you know, checking DTEX wand spots or, you know, checking uh, a particular door that always seems to be left open for some mm -hmm. odd reason, something, you know, I'm using very general examples. How about um, the way they treat people? Like, what can you put in post orders about that? Um, let's assume it's an office building, um, people that are employees of the company. I, 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 I think, and I have seen this in post orders mm -hmm. um, where, you know, if you're working the front desk at an office building, you know, and you're there to vet people before they go through the access control door, those type of things, you're like that first point of contact. Well, in the post orders, it says, it'll say something to the effect of, you know, smile and greet the visitor, um, you know, with good morning, hello, or, or something like that. Some, some are more prescriptive, some aren't, but it's basically just letting, the, reminding that officer that do that. Now, I think we would all agree that does that always happen? No, people come to work, they're not happy, they're having a bad day, they just got some bad news and they're not doing those type of things. But the idea of that being in post orders is to remind people um, that's what you're, you're supposed to be doing. And I think, you know, we, we, we would all agree that we've all gone to work and had a bad day and pro probably haven't been ourselves, um, you know, and I can, I can honestly say that's happened to me on a number of occasions, um, you know, so that, that being said, you can put those things in there, but you know, what is the ethos of, of also of the company? And, and also I want to back up a little bit again. And again, you and I can probably talk about this for, you know, four or five days, but um, <laughs> the, the one, the one thing, you know, especially about post orders and what you're requiring or wanting the officer to do also keep in mind that the more complex you make the job, mm -hmm. the more it's going to cost. That is a reality. The more things you want that organization to do for you, there's a cost associated with it. That's just the reality. Um, that's just the cost of doing business. And that's why some people get very, that's why some, unfortunately, some people get sticker shock um, when they get that first quote um, from a company um, and they're like, oh, you know, and, but go back, you asked for all the things that they're quoting you. You've, you've asked for a number of services. So they're, they're basing it on that. So, and that's, that's another, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation also. Um, but just making a point for the listeners who are thinking about procuring, what exactly do you want the officers to do? How complex is the job? Um, and, you know, what is it you're really expecting them to do? And having those conversations with the security company. So everybody's on the same page. You know, um, again, we talked a lot of, I know we got a bit granular today. Um, and again, I, I would offer even in granular, there's exceptions. There's always going to be exceptions. And if you, you know, and I know you've talked to a number of, of other uh, very, uh, you know, well-educated security professionals. Um, and, you know, they probably told you very similar things, you know, and, and unfortunately in our business, <laughs> um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, well, <laughs> you'll hear that a lot, right? Sure. Yeah. There's, there's granularity in everything. And yeah. I think, um, to me, you know, my takeaway is it's such a good point that you can be detailed in the post orders down mm -hmm. to, as you said, like say hello and how you greet someone. If you're at the front desk, you know, maybe your company has like water bottles behind the desk, like how actively do you offer people water, right? Um, and then what do you notice? And, and I'll tell you one of the experiences that I was very charmed by recently, and it, and it actually got me thinking about this more because I was like, hmm, I mean, this isn't like a super highly paid person, but I was at a Trader Joe's, right? Which everyone mm -hmm. recognizes for actually having really good service, um, very friendly and engaged. And I was checking out, I was kind of in the middle of my day and thinking about something else. And the uh, cashier noticed that I was purchasing one bottle of water. And when he was bagging everything, he pulled it out and said, do you want me to leave this out? Are you drinking this? Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, you know, the fact that he thought about it, that he noticed that there was just one, that he went through like what would be convenient for me. And in my mind, I was like, how do we, you know, can you translate that to security? And frankly, I really wanted to know, you know, what was in his training that had gotten him to the point where he was actively thinking about that. And so, you know, asking you, have you seen you know, do you have stories of security professionals that you've seen 
kind of go to that next level. You know, maybe it's not always water. Maybe it's whatever it is, hold the door, carry the bag, do something that feels like a small touch, but at the same time, the takeaway for the client or for the, you know, the corporate employee is like, wow, someone's really watching me. Someone's really thinking about me. Um, you know, here, here's the difference, you know, and, and I, I know some of my colleagues would probably agree to agree with me, um, in the sense that your, your typical bagger at Trader Joe's, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be vigilant, um, in the sense that they have to be situationally aware of what's going on around them, because that isn't really their job. Their job is customer service. They're there to get you to come back to Trader Joe's, Right. Um, not to say security staff isn't there to get you back, but security again, um, is there to be vigilant and to, to provide a measure of both physical and psychological safety, uh, and, and don't you think that's psychological though? Because, because as I think about it and sorry to cut you off, but like, you know, whole foods, I haven't seen people do that. Right. And they're, they're sort of more high end. I haven't seen people do that at Target or at 7-Eleven or, you know, I could list a ton of other stores that I've been in recently that haven't stood out in that way where the person's like, well, my job is just to like get your stuff in the bag and to charge your credit card. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you another very similar example. Like if you go to different like fast food restaurants, as an, mm -hmm. I'll use that as an example. If you go to if you go to Burger King and I'm not trying to lay out Burger King, um, they have a very different type of customer service than you would get at Chick-fil-A, right? Chick-fil-A, right? They are, or ironically, you go to In-N-Out Burger. Everybody yeah. loves In-N-Out, right? Their customer service is phenomenal. Yeah. And, and, but that, but again, that's cultural for that organization. Not every, not all those organizations. And I was actually having this conversation in training yesterday um, about culture of organizations. And that is just ingrained in the culture at Trader Joe's. And I've had very similar experiences at Trader Joe's. Why? But, but you're also talking about very different industries. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that um, security is different in the sense that the, the mission's different, right? My job is to make sure that you're safe. The bagger at Trader Joe's just has to make sure all your stuff's there, right? And that. And I would also argue that it also comes down to the individual person, mm -hmm. right? That person may be just the kind of person is like, oh, hey, you know, because that's something maybe they'd want, right? Sometimes it's a personal thing. And I've, I've seen throughout my law enforcement career, my security career, um, just in general, I see people who go above and beyond every day um, in very small ways. Hey, let me carry that bag for you. Or, Hey, I'm going to open the door for you. Or, you know, uh, I'm going to walk into the, you know, as a security officer, I'm patrolling and I'm just going to go into individual offices and introduce myself and say, hello. And Hey, if you need anything, I'm here to help you. Those type oh, of things. That's a great one. Can we, could someone put that in post orders? A absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, you know, if you're working on a campus as an example, yeah. you, you know, whatever business park campus, Hey, you know, you know, go in there and make yourself known. You know, hey, I'm security. My name's Dave. Um, you know, I'm going to be patrolling through the campus. I'm going to periodically walk through here. It doesn't mean anything's wrong. I'm mm -hmm. just, you know, checking the property and and making sure, you know, I'm doing what I'm supposed to. Um, and that's, that's that. Great. I, I even I even love that phrasing that you just gave us. Being introducing yourself, and then what ends up happening is, is then eventually everybody knows Dave right? Mm -hmm. Everybody knows Dave, the security guard. I'm just wandering around this place doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm checking on things. I'm being vigilant. Yeah. Um, but I'm not in kind of going back to certain things. If, if the activities that are being asked of me, because there are places that are like, oh, you're going to deliver mail as an example. Right. And I've seen this, that's not really a security officer's job. So they're not there to deliver mail. Okay. They're there to be vigilant and make sure that they're patrolling the property. They're making sure that they're engaged in security related activities. If it becomes stuff that's not security related, oh, you're delivering mail or you're taking packages or you're doing this. Now you're taking that, the whole reason you hired security in the first place, you're taking that away. 
Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I, I would argue it depends on the location, right? I mean, you could, you could say that, you know, you shouldn't be talking to people then like every time you're chit-chatting with someone, then your attention is, is off. Not, 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 not necessarily. I I'm saying that if those aren't value added activities for a security officer in the sense that engaging the community, that's a value add, right? You're gaining people's trust. You're gaining people's, you're knowing people. So if they have an emergency or if they have something they need you for, they can call upon you. That's community. Sure. Engagement. And I, yeah. But, and I think it's up to the specific client to determine like, you know, you're, you're an expert, right? I don't know. Maybe, maybe the mail does take up that much of, of sort of like the mind share, but a client could argue that, you know, if I see Dave every day dropping off my mail saying hi, like, wow, I feel so good. Like, I just, I feel taken care of. I feel safe. I feel like, you know, who I am. And that's the way to build that trust and rapport. Um, if I'm, you know, if it's a bank and Dave is supposed to be at the door with his gun and he's delivering mail, like, yeah, probably not the best use of your time. And I would agree with you, but what, what, I, what I'm illustrating is, is that if you need the mail delivered, you can probably hire somebody for that too, right? Sure, I'm, but you could, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about that because what ends up happening is, is it becomes a slippery slope because first you have Dave, I'm first now delivering packages because maybe there's a need, okay? Hey, always happy to help out. And the one-offs, not a problem. That's not an issue. However, then it becomes, well, I need you to go over here and take care of X, you know, because we don't have a lot of activity here from a security perspective. But people forget, maybe the whole reason you don't have a lot of activity is because you have that deterrent. <laughs> that's, true, true. that's the main reason. So, well, and I hear you, and I think that's the main, but that's a good point. I, you know, I guess, I guess the other thing I hear is that at the end of the day, the client needs to understand what the risks are and take accountability yeah. for them, right? Because Agreed. the other thing you could say is like, wow, well, you only have security from nine to five. What if something horrible happens after five? Like, how could I possibly leave? And of the course. client has, and the client has just accepted that that's the risk. That's their budget. That's yeah. you know, how well they've chosen the structure. Agreed. Um, but, but I think you know, that granular detail is, and, and I think that the thing that I do hear loud and clear though, and, and it's interesting because I have seen this, I have read this, I have heard this from a variety of security professionals is that um, when there's an underlying lack of respect for their skill set, which, you know, I am overwhelmingly convinced is not trivial. And for the like, honestly, like the amount of courage that it takes to do a job that I don't think everyone can do. Like there are, you know, I don't think I'm a particularly not brave person, but there are tons of security jobs where I was like, I would feel so uncomfortable, so not happy doing those jobs. Um, when there's that lack of respect, then all of these little things, like, can you do the mail? Can you, you know, something leaked? Can you mop it up? Like all of that is reads as like additional bits of lack of respect. Um, and, and I think that that is something that is unfortunate and that um, makes me sad for an industry that that genuinely does so much good and delivers so much value daily everywhere. Uh, agreed. Agreed. And, you know, because it's it's looked at as sort of a low power type of thing um, to your point you know, here, deliver this package. Hey, there was a, go mop up the, you know, go mop up the bathroom or go do these things that really clearly aren't security related. Um, I understand from a customer service aspect, but those are not security related activities. And, you know, if you're paying a company, a security company to bring somebody in to do security related work, that's in my view, that's what they should be doing. That doesn't mean they can't deliver the occasional package. That doesn't mean they can't escort people to their car after dark, you know, those type of things. Those are all, uh, I, I would think in some ways expected a little bit and some companies will go above and beyond. Um, but, you know, from, from my purview, I wouldn't want as, as a client, I wouldn't want the security officer in the bathroom trying to mop up a, a you know, a toilet that just leaked um, when they should be patrolling the clinic or they should be engaging the community or being vigilant for things around them. I, 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 I'm very, very passionate about that because what, that's not what I'm paying for at the, at the end of the day. 
um, I'm paying that person to be vigilant to make sure that if something does happen, they're available to engage um, and or call in the right resources, i.e. the police or fire or whoever to address those issues. And that makes total sense. And today we've learned all about how to structure post orders so that hopefully all of our listeners that are hiring security can figure out how they want to best allocate those resources. Um, of course. Dave, I feel like we have probably three more hours of stuff to talk about. <laughs> we uh, probably so, do. So we'll book you for three more sessions. Um, thank you so much for your time. It was such a pleasure as always. Um, thank you to our listeners. If you learned something today or laughed, tell someone about this podcast. And Dave, thank you again. Um, so wonderful to have you. And until next time. Thank you for having me on. I truly appreciate it. It was, uh, I felt it was a great conversation. As did I, and super, super helpful to our listeners. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Take care. And that wraps up another episode of Security Download. Thank you for joining. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at securitydownload.live and be sure to follow on your favorite podcast app.